Good morning, Sarah Heffala. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. There she is again, my old nemesis. <laughs> oh, wait. No, I meant friend. Um, yes, and I, I would like our, our, uh, our listeners to know I am podding from a pod. I am sitting in a chair that Sarah correctly says I look like I have a throne behind me in the hallway of a hotel on the Pacific Ocean. But that's as, that's as much detail as I can give because I don't, you know, people can't know where I am. So, but, yeah. What are you, yeah. working for the CIA? Yeah, shh. That's right. Yeah. Hey. The the pod looks like it's like an egg crate, mm-hmm. but it's made of tufted leather or fake leather, um, and it's kind of like a beige color. So it sort of looks like you're either a king or you're about to be shipped off to someone who ordered you on Amazon. Um. Oh, well, how would they market me? Speaking of shipping off, I, I told you right before we started, my um, my Israeli press pass came through. So thank you very much for Israel for approving that. Um, that will help me in stories. It's kind of hard enough to get around lots of parts of Israel anyway, because, you know, there's section A and section B and I'm not allowed there and you're not allowed here. I'm so already bored by this story. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So <laughs> tell our listeners something more interesting than, than, than Israel. Go, go try, Sarah. Go. Nancy. I have been invited on Instagram to become a part of the Illuminati. Oh, my God. Yes, it happened. It happened this week. What 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 does do, do you have to read like the elders of Zion or something? What is it? So, what's okay, required? I always wondered how this happened. And okay. what I didn't realize is it just somebody just slides into your DMs on Instagram. And he says... Based on the membership criterion of the Illuminati, we find you are of great interest in possession of a good mastery of manual dexterity and academic proficiency, which I've always said about myself. Your fingers work, basically. With this, we look at you as the class that will be the platform for which you stand to meet the wealthy people who can raise you to wealth, power, fame, and glory. I strongly recommend that you join us in the Illuminati. Joining us, you become wealthy and live the life you desire. Do you accept the offer? What do you think I said? Where do I sign? I said, I do. And then I said, <laughs> what happens next? And so he wrote back. He said, you're welcome, Sarah, which felt presumptive because I hadn't said thank you, but whatever. I am Mr. Randall from California, and I will give you a quick introduction about what the Illuminati is about. The Illuminati is an elite organization of world leaders that operates above geographical and political restrictions for the benefit of the human species, a gathering of the elite and wise and those who believe in a new and better world, a one world government that will keep joy in everyone's face sick, <laughs> and make the wrongs right again. While our daily operations remain confidential for the safety of our members, we strive to create a better understanding between us and those who have been we've been entrusted to protect. We will protect a world of equal right and justice. Uniting the world is what we stand for. Helping those with dreams to rule and live a good and happy life achieving their dreams. I wrote, sounds like a plan. (laughs) He goes on to say, joining the Illuminati is solely based on your own free will, dear Sarah. I joined the Illuminati in 2017, and my position is still a regular member and serving as a network representative to reach out to chosen new souls out there. And I'm well doing this on my own free will because I was reached out to just like this. So I will continue to spread the light until I leave this earth. We owe this to our next generation to come, a better world. 
He get, he then goes on to tell me that the Grand Superior, parentheses, Sir Victor, guided me through the application, a membership process until we met. Sir Victor is a notable personality who have spent several years in the organization and have recruited several thousand new members. He will provide you the support and necessary information to move forward. Sir Victor is a world explorer and he situates at the ge- the great general temple here in America, parentheses, New York. But the introductory and commencement of the application and membership process must be started online according to the secrecy legacy rule of law set down by our founder, the great Adam Weishaupt. He then goes on to ask me if I have a WhatsApp or Signal or an iMessage because those are the communication platforms that Sir Victor can use. Um, I told him I had iMessage. Uh, He wrote back great. What is it? And I got nervous. And then he wrote back again and said, your iMessage contact details. So here's my question to you. Mm-hmm. A, how awesome is it going to be when I'm in the Illuminati? I, I kind of feel like you're breaking up with me, but you're like giving this whole like preamble. But listen, Nancy, you have to understand I'm leaving you for the Illuminati. So like, is this our that last is, episode? Is that? Is it this? could be. Okay. Okay. It could be. Okay. Right. It's also possible that you are broadcasting from the bl- platform of Sir Victor and you haven't told me yet. And Sir Victor, as we know, is here to elevate the equal justice and of all peoples. And he's from a dis- undisclosed location in America, parentheses, California. Or... It could be that this has just been a very, very long game that I've been playing with you. They tapped me. They tapped me a couple of years ago to yes, bring exactly. you in, but they, we kind of like we've had to like kind of understand. And I, I felt like with the last couple of episodes, I really felt like you were, you really were, um, uh, you really were the stuff. Yeah, you were the stuff that we needed. Now, actually, I'm not in the Illuminati. I'm I'm, I'm sort of like um, a honey trap. I just they yeah. they sent me out. To, You're the Epstein get... Island of the Illuminati. That's right. <laughs> That's me. So, but um, Sarah, welcome. I don't know if I'll ever be able to see you again. They're going to send me out to get some other, you know, other people at this point. So, yeah. You know, I looked at Randall's Instagram account as one would. It is private. But according to Instagram, he has 92,000 followers, which is like, what? Well, Sarah... There are people. There are people more, uh, shall we say, susceptible than you. I think he reached out to ninety-two thousand people. I was like ninety-one thousand nine hundred ninety-ninth on the list. That pisses me off. What's the next? Like, when are they going to want your money? I don't. I don't don't know. Like, you know, you know what I'm doing here, right? Is like, I just want to know what this game is. Oh yeah, it's a story, maybe, or it's yeah. So I'm like, do I give him my iMessage and also like. Then what happens? You know, I don't gonna want end- to, though. No, it's going to end in tears. I wouldn't. I wouldn't because Randall's it's, you, not mine. Well, but the thing is that they, you know what they want. They want money or they want some sort of information of yours that they can use for their own purposes. There's no there's nothing in it for you except to satisfy your curiosity. I, I mean, it could, it could be a good story, but it's also just going to be tawdry and it's going to be sad. And I would just. I yeah. went to this guy's Facebook page and it's like a picture of him and his mother who's like 85 years old. And, you Hot. know, it looks it looks like some guy 
you know, living in Dubuque, Iowa. I always bag on Dubuque, Iowa, which is probably yeah. a cool city. But like he just, you know, and he's like he's going to Walmart to pick up stuff for his mom who's sick. And he's just like I don't think so bored. Yeah, but I, this that person, English is not their first language. I would say they're like coming from the Philippines or someplace. I mean, that was not someone whose first language was English. Anyway, it, so. It, it, it was, um, I just thought I'd share with you this little game I was playing. I was it's so close to being part of the, the Illuminati. Not only is it a good word, it's a great concept. Like it's this amazing, it, it's, it's very, it's very analog QAnon, you know, it's like old school QAnon. It's like this idea that these people, mostly men like Randall Shaw Hopcroft are ruling the world secretly. They're pulling the strings and we're just pawns in their game and you could be a part of it. Right. It's nice to believe that, but instead you're going to have to hang out here with us with the rest of the schlubs so that's okay okay happy to be here so, okay, what's the name of this podcast the name of this podcast is smoke them if you got them and um you sent me a little tidbit that was interesting this morning and it's funny because i've actually been thinking about Sinead o'connor this week for some reason and uh what did you send me this morning sarah that was surprising well, I sent you a headline to a story that I didn't actually read, but the headline said that Sinead O'Connor died of natural causes. Yeah, which um, for anyone that oh. you know wasn't paying attention at all, people assumed that she'd committed suicide um, because she'd gone through a lot of hard stuff. And her son, she had a son her who had committed son suicide. Had committed suicide, and she yeah. died shortly after. And yeah. this almost makes it sound like, in an old school way, she died of a broken heart. The you, you do know, and this is very, very well documented, that when, you know, couples that have been together forever, yes. when one dies, the other dies within like two or three days. It's just the, it's kind of the will to live. You just, I mean, there is a life force will to live, I think. You know, we, mm. we, we strive every minute to keep ourselves alive by breathing and, you know, having social, like what eating. And if you lose it, then. Yeah. Makes me sad and happy at the same time. Yeah. Is there a word for, is there a German word for being sad and happy at the same time? Yes, but it, it has it has 174 letters and I can't I pronounce know. it. So, um, what know. is sad and happy? Melancholy, melancholy is not sad and happy. That's no more, melancholy more is more like poignantly sad. Yeah. It's like yeah. bittersweet is maybe that that feels cliched to me. There's some word that should be. Um, I think I I seem to remember Jonathan. Saffron Foer. Do you remember that author? Mm -hmm. He was mm -hmm. big for a while. Mm -hmm. he, he wrote an essay once that was talking about being sad and happy at once. That there was, there should be like that, like arrows going in opposite directions inside of you. Um, sad, happy. So, what are we here sad. to talk? What are we here to talk about this morning, Sarah Apollo? What the Illuminati? The Illuminati. Um, you you said something to me the other day that I thought was. Correct. You said, how is anybody getting any work done with this going on on Twitter? And um, that would be um, Bill Ackman, uh, who is one of the, he is the Harvard alum um, who, after uh, after the three presidents of, of different universities went before Congress and really didn't get their answers correct as to whether, was it okay that they had their students marching and, and saying things that basically could be translated 
as death to Israel. Was that okay? And nobody could really answer this really properly. Well, when that happened, he then sort of, I don't remember his moves exactly, but he's like, why are we supporting these people? Why are we giving them money? He'd been mad ever since the response to Hamas. You know, Harvard Mm. wrote a really mealy-mouthed, good people on both sides response to October 7th. And he was like, after their student group. the fuck? Right. That's correct. After a student group at Harvard had given, even before, before Israel had responded, they came out and said, anything that happened to Israel is the fault of Israel. And that's correct. That right. That was step one. And then Harvard came out and was like, well, you know, free speech and kids and this and that. And then he started saying, we no, wrong. And people apparently, and I understand this, we've talked about that a little bit, that they said like, why am I giving, why? Harvard has a, like a $51 billion trust or whatever it's called. Like, why am I giving them money and then they remember he was also involved in revealing the names of people that had signed that letter because he was like hey you don't want to hire them so it it got into this weird kind of like uh if that part did feel a little mccarthy-ish absolutely Um, yeah and then i remember when i had a guest post from a kid who um was at Harvard at Yale uh, in graduate school, getting his PhD. And he said, after that happened, you know, someone uh, hired a truck, like one of these trucks that had yeah. billboards along the side and like going with, with a megaphone shouting the, the people's names who had signed it. And, you know, it turns out, did like everybody know that this letter had been sent out and their names were going to be on? No, they didn't know this. And so, yeah, it, it became big. And then there was the congressional testimony. Um, and then we had the president of MIT resigned. And then Claudine Gay. No, no, no. Not University MIT. Oh, sorry. Right. Sorry. But my, MIT was the third one, right? There was MIT, yeah. UPenn, and right. And then um, and then they were, Harvard was sticking by Claudine Gay, who was their first black female president. And then the uh, allegations of um, plagiarism erupted, which apparently people had known about for some time. This was Some people like- had known about for some time because right, there was going to be, uh, the New York Post had prepared um, uh, a story about it and Harvard lawyers had hit back really hard and said, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to sue you if you do this. Mm-hmm. And that started to dribble out and Harvard backed gay. And of course, you started to get the think pieces on both sides saying, I mean, I I recall just my own little brain saying, how in the world can you have the president of your university? How can it be okay for her to plagiarize? How are you ever, ever going to kick out any student for plagiarism? It's impossible. Yeah. You can't have it yeah. both ways. And we read some really good pieces about it. And then... Um, but not to belabor the point too much, because we want to get to like the fallout yes. of this. And by the way, if you're interested in like the real nitty gritty of this, uh, Jesse and Katie at Blockton Reported did a great episode, free episode on the Claudine Gay controversy. They do a wonderful job of digging into all the kind of micro movements of this this explosion. But uh, but I just want to also say that one of the reasons there was such a fierce push against the plagiarism allegations is that they were first revealed by Chris Rufo. And Chris Rufo is an is a guy who is on the right. Um, and he had 
you know, kind of announced, like, let's go after this person. Um, and there's some argument, you know, Jesse and Katie have an interesting conversation about whether or not Chris is um, taking is was was really the person that popped the lid off of this or whether he's really just like taking credit for something that was going to happen regardless and making him look himself look more powerful than he was. But regardless, there is a perception that Chris Rufo is the person that, you know, instigated these plagiarism claims. And therefore, because they come from somebody who's seen as a bad faith actor, we shouldn't cave in to that. I mean, it just became a like enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. I'm I'm I haven't listened to that episode, but I'm, and I could be wrong about this, but my impression was he was not the person that had been doing the digging, that there, there had been several other people that this has been going on for a while. And maybe he did jump into the spotlight, which I can kind of understand not supporting it but you know he's been at the center of many DEI arguments and and he is someone who he's almost he's become a figurehead for that you know side in scare quotes and um well the allegations were sent to many journalists right. including Michael Moynihan including um uh, Jesse Single, I suspect also Aaron Sabarium of the Free Beacon, who right. ended up doing right. a lot of reporting on this. Right. So, so the allegations were sent out and, you know, but Rufo, whether that was when he learned or he learned before, I don't know. But he's the one that that went wide with it. Right. Um, and but also like he went wide with it, but also he already had the face to go wide with it is what I'm saying. Totally. Like you, you recognized who that was as opposed to like, you know, John Smith comes out of nowhere and be like, well, why are we caring what he's saying? And Aaron Sabarium really did the yeoman's work. He's, he's such an interesting journalist. I, I wrote about him. He was the one, if people recall when, um, when, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones, he, she, she, uh, doxed <gasps> she him. She doxed him. And I, I wrote, I was the person that wrote the article about that uh, for the dispatch. And he was, you know, he was actually like at home living with his parents, playing a video game when his phone started to blow up. Like you've just been doxxed by Nicole with his, we, with should, his, we should have with him his on the show. He's, yeah, he's, he's very interesting. He is an interesting guy. And um, he's the one that really, I guess, did more of like the fast legwork to find out about more of her, of Claudine Gay's um, plagiarism. So, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, like what counts as plagiarism, et cetera. But okay, so, you know, Harvard tried to stand behind Gay. And then apparently over the holidays, starting like December 26th, when everybody, you know, who's on the board of, I think it's called the Harvard Corporation, they were off at their fancy ski resorts or their, you know, vacationing for the holidays. And it just, people just started to turn. We're like, we can't do this. We cannot keep defending her. And I think she got a phone call. It was definitely before the new year. And saying, what do you want to do here? And she she resigned. She chose to resign. Did you read well, Claudine Gay's op-ed in the New York Times? I did. I did. Thoughts? I think that she is relying on um, arguments we've been having for the past however many years when, uh, you know, we wanted to create opportunity for people that previously 
had perhaps been denied opportunity. Some people feel that's gone too far. I, I would agree with that when you when you say, I want to hire someone to be my pastry chef, but it's only going to be an Asian dude, no matter what. I don't care who comes across my transom. I'm only going to hire this particular person based on the color of their skin and the shape of their genitals. And it was the case, I believe, that Harvard was looking for um, a person of color, maybe a woman of color, and she was hired. Not that she was not qualified to be. I'm sure that she was. Um, But when she now has been dinged, whether people think this is fair or unfair that she's been dinged for the plagiarism, she went back and say, you know, see, see, we told you this is what's going to happen. You've got too many right-wing people who may also be racist who do not want and cannot accept that the most powerful university on planet Earth is going to be run by a woman of color. And we, you have just proved our point. I mean, she wasn't that bald about it, but that uh, was also the message. Yeah. You know, uh, <clears throat> you're being nice, which is unusual for you. Um <laughs> The headline of this story is Claudine Gay, what just happened at Harvard is bigger than me. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, This is a bullshit column. Um, The thing that I want to say about it is, um, you know, this is a woman that went to Exeter. She went to Harvard. She went to Stanford. Her education is so much better than mine. It's like not even funny. Like it's so much better than mine. And but I, I, let me tell you where I feel really strongly that I know something, and it's in the realm of the personal essay. I feel yep. really fiercely protective about the personal essay. And I believe that one of the beautiful things about the personal essay, that it should be an honest brokering of your, of your behavior, your experience, and it should be a stepping up to the responsibility of your own life. She does none of that. This is a press release. By the way, I don't even think she wrote it. Uh, I, so I, I, I will be. I would. I would be shocked if she wrote this herself. Right, two, two things. Number one. Now we're in Johnny Depp Amber Heard territory with yeah. the piece that Amber Heard wrote about herself being an abused woman. When you mean she, where she found her voice, where she found her own voice? Yeah, which, which and it wasn't written by her at all. Yeah. It was, um, so that's number one. Um, number two, if this were 2020, uh, I don't know if we, if, if it would have gone in this direction in terms of the whole story, but let's say it had. The message that Claudine Gay was delivering in that op-ed would have had more resonance. Absolutely. You you would have had more people saying, that's absolutely right. And we are behind this, but we are seeing a crumbling of what people became mesmerized by in terms of you're, you're, you can't be not racist. You're just, you know, racist or an anti-racist. I mean, I sent you a tweet of, of my friend, Melissa Chen the other day, and she's like, you're going to see, and I'll, I'll find the tweet. You know, everybody, you you either went along with this because you were a true believer or you you were afraid to not go along with it. But now when it does not have, does not give you the credibility, does not have carry the collateral it once was to, you know, go in and say, yes, I'm anti-racist, I'm going to do all the work. When it's no longer paying off for you, people are going to back away. And I think that this piece by Claudine Gay was a bid to the people that have been 
in that camp saying, stick with me, guys, stick with me. We've been making strides in this direction, this, you know, racist slash anti-racist direction. Stick with me because we're going to, we're going to make the real changes that we need to make in this country. And I, I don't think it's working. Well, and if you go to the reader's comments on the New York Times story, which has been like my saving grace for the last years, yeah, is like, go to those reader's comments and you will just scroll through all these people that are like, bullshit, 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 bullshit. They're not buying it. You know, this is a piece that where she says, gosh, she kind of like gives, you know, she says like, yes, I made mistakes, but really what happened is that I, I fell into a well-laid trap and it's a trap Ugh. that's coming for all of us. And, you know, so here's what she says. As I depart, I must offer a few words of warning. The campaign against me was about more than one university and one leader. This was merely a single skirmish in a broader war to unravel public faith in pillars of American society. So that's, those are big fighting words. And what's fascinating about that is that it's the exact language that has been used to describe what's been going on in a world where ideology is trumping everything else in American society and meritocracy is crumbling underneath it. You know, this is what they call DARVO. DARVO? Uh, DARVO is the word. uh, It means deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. Oh, boy. Uh, The perpetrator or offender may deny the behavior, attack the individual doing the confronting and reverse the roles of victim and offender such that the perpetrator assumes the victim role and turns the true victim. So this is commonly seen in, you know, a lot of people accuse Johnny Depp of of doing a Darvo move, Um, you know, and, and it's basically the old like who's zooming who question, you know, who is trying to tear down accepted pillars of society? Which one of us? Which side here? You know, and and so uh, this is really interesting. But 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 damn her for being guilty of like, I don't know, like dozens of uh, 40 and 40 incidents of plagiarism. Yeah. When plagiarism is like a zero tolerance offense at Harvard. Like, that's the part that I can't get behind. And I would like to have a conversation with you about what constitutes plagiarism and whether we should change the definition of it and yada, 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 nuance, nuance. But before we get to that part. Yes. The fucking president. You're the fucking president. And there are people that worked their whole lives to get into this institution and then... They're, you know, they have some Wikipedia mixing around in their in their final paper. And she plagiarized her dedication. Yeah, it's it's so. OK, ridiculous. so you know, yeah. So she's saying we're, you know, it, they're working. It's coming for you. It's coming for you to tear down. But in order for my argument to be right, just we need to change the definition of plagiarism. Then everything's going to be OK. So. That you you really don't want a level playing field at all. But before we get to talking about the definition of plagiarism and what we should change and cheating and et cetera, we'll go back to a second for Bill Ackman. Bill yeah. Ackman, whose wife, who I had never heard of, what is her name? Nellie Oxman? Neri, Neri, N-E-R-I. Neri or Neri Oxman. Yeah. Who is- Beautiful, um, fascinating, brilliant woman. 
incredible. And um, apparently, uh, some people that are obviously not too happy with Bill Ackman went and found that they believe that Neri, in some of her work, had plagiarized by taking um, like definitions or paragraphs directly from Wikipedia. Um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 phrases from Wikipedia. This is in her MIT dissertation, I believe. And she uh, she was a professor at MIT at the time. She's no longer a professor at MIT, but uh, but she was. And um, it's it's pretty striking. These are they are they're they're lifted. I mean, there's like whole yeah, whole paragraphs lifted. are lifted. However, there are a couple of things that I've noticed about this. And of course, Bill Ackman, you sent me that tweet of, you know, Bill Ackman writing a tweet. His his tweets have literally been like 3,000 words long. Like, oh my God, I can't you, even get you can't, through you can't, them. You can't. You can't. I tried to read the original long one. I couldn't. I was like, I'm sorry, I have to go breathe now. Um, but, um, sorry, I just completely lost my train of thought. Oh, so they they apparently, so who's doing this? Business Insider is doing this. They're doing this investigation into into her work, and apparently they send the accusation in something like a seven thousand word uh, email to them mm-hmm. right before Shabbat is starting. And if everybody knows Shabbat, you know the sun is going down on a Friday. You are not interacting with any of your electronics or electricity or anything until sundown on Saturday. Which means if you're getting a text at 521, you're not going to be able to do anything with it. Well, that I thought was really, really low journalism. I'm sorry. I I find this to be disgusting when you land on people when they don't have an opportunity to even address or defend themselves. Um, It's a classic move, though, not the Shabbat part, but that you would send an email like two or three hours before you're going to press. This is a very typical thing, like it or lump it. You you re- you have to reach out as a journalist but you do minimize the ability for the other side to react by making it you know two or three at- like you know basically do- i think they they sent it at 5 they went live at 8 you know but do you sorry just a quick question is that the way you've practiced journalism i don't do this kind of journalism okay. i don't do gotcha journalism i yeah. ha- i'm trying to think Back at the Dallas Observer, I did a couple of stories like this. This is years ago. And I did do something like that. But it's not for nefarious reasons. It's because we are going to press and you're like, you have to call them. And then it's like, I've got three hours before we go to press. Like You literally don't have any more time. Where in the world of online journalism, you have less of a a reason for it. um, Because you could technically wait until you heard back. But... I mean, you know. the whole the reason for the dropping this story now, obviously, is like, okay, Bill Ackman, you're going to live by the sword, then maybe you're going to die by the sword. So they print this story about his wife, and it is like, oh, wow, you're you're getting people, you know, fired from their jobs, but whereas your wife did the same thing. Well, Bill Ackman comes back and says, okay. I mean, he, he didn't just say, okay, he said a lot of things, but it's like, okay, I'm, we're going to, we're going to look into every single journalist at Business Insider, every single one. We're going to, and look then in- we're going to look into everyone at MIT. Right. And he has the money to do that. And you know, people are probably looking at this right now, but this is such an insanely rancid exercise uh, to do this. And I got to say, people are cheering this on, you know, kind of like, get me the popcorn. And I'm sort of like, this is not going to end well. It's not. You're going to 
see a lot of low level people. I, I just I just have a bad feeling about it. What do, what do you think the chances are that so apparently Business Insider is run owned by is it Spiegel from Germany? What is his name? Oh Axel, yeah, there's Axel. There's, there's some company that owns that's now yeah. looking into the morals of why they did the story. They are not happy about it. This is yeah. your parent company. Okay, this is your parent company. We know that almost every publication hangs by, you know what, like you're losing a tooth when you're a kid and it's like hanging by that one little piece of, of skin. This yeah, is that's, every, that's business insider. Uh, well, yeah, but it is. It is. No, that's it's like, good. If you if you have you know they're unhappy your parent company that is basically keeping you afloat because you know Business Insider is not raking in millions and millions of dollars. You're got no. It's such a good point. Gawker got shut down because Hulk Hogan sued them. You know, yeah. it's like Gawker was one of the most powerful uh, online you know media organizations around. Maybe not at that time, but you know, yeah, like I don't give a. I don't, I don't care either. that much about the fate of Business Insider, although I stopped myself because, you know, these are my people. They're journalists. What um, is who is the editor in chief? I think the editor in chief of Business Insider actually came from Gawker, or maybe not. Someone that somewhat, was Forbes, but yeah. And it, there's just yeah, I don't know. And then there was a, a someone at Business Insider yesterday came out and saying like I've never been one of these like I've never been as proud as I am now of our of our team and our integrity. I'm sorry, well, I, I bet they've gotten crazy um, numbers traffic numbers from it. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. I think I'm with you. I do not predict so because let let's let's talk about this for a minute. Let's talk about cheating. Let's talk about um, about plagiarism. If you look into every single person at Business Insider and you're willing to go back to high school or what, whatever it is, what percentage are you going to find? I don't know how you're going to find these things out, but, you know. You're going to feed them into a computer and we're just going to use chat GPT or whatever AI we've discovered to just hurt each we're just gonna to hurt each, each other. other yeah let's let's right. all just let's all just cannibalize each other what's yeah. okay so then we're just going to be a big pile of meat great then my we have to question no my big question about all this is what is plagiarism and i say that not philosophically but like with kind of quaking boots i mean i have always wondered to what extent i am absorbing other people's language phrases you know there's that line right like good artists borrow, great artists steal. And I wrote a piece, I mean, one of the, okay, the first piece I ever went, wrote that went what you could call viral Yep, was in 2002, I believe. And it was about Jason Blair. Yep. And it was called (laughs) To Tell the Truth. And the story would probably be better remembered as the story that I wrote about Jason Blair, the famous New York Times plagiarist, grossly kissing me in the backseat of a cab out of nowhere and me telling him to fuck off. And anyway, but the other part of it, because I did, I met him one day at a New York Times party and we got along. He was a really sweet guy. Um, But then he... the one time that I feel like I would describe an incident as being kissed without my consent would be was, that. 
Like we were literally like in the back of a cab. I was drunk. He was sober, which was weird. And he just started kissing me. And I was like, what the fuck? And it wasn't like, it was like, it was like tongue down your throat. And I just it literally threw him off because he's not that big. And I was like, what are you doing? I mean, it was just so out of nowhere. It was totally bizarre. But anyway. Hi, Smoke em If You Got em listeners. This is Sarah Heppola with Nancy Rommelman. Hi. We're inviting you to listen to the rest of this conversation, but you have to subscribe. Go to smokeempodcast.substack.com slash subscribe. We hope to see you on the other side. Bye.